Hi, I'm David Green, and welcome back to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Today, I'm talking with Stefan van Hoydonk, who after being Chief Learning Officer at companies including Nokia, Cognizant, Philips and Nagfa, was inspired to found the Global Curiosity Institute and write the best-selling book, The Workplace Curiosity Manifesto. Dedicated to cultivating curiosity in individuals and organisations around the world, in this episode, Stefan and I discussed the importance of curiosity at work and why it's so critical to successful innovation and growth and continuous learning. There's two types of learning in organizations. You either have push or pull learning. Push learning is kind of um, compliance-based. Somebody deciding for me what I should learn. And that often is not very empowering. And then you have pull-based learning. It's really curiosity-driven learning, and that's so important for organizations to, to allow people to learn not only for the current role, but also for the, for the next role, not knowing what that next role could be. And how much are we training these B players to become A players? Stefan has conducted some profound research into the topic of curiosity in the workplace, and he has some great insights and advice on how organizations can successfully measure and cultivate this key element of workplace culture. So without further ado, let's explore the power of curiosity and what it means for the future of work. Stefan, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Before we dive into the discussion, could, could you share with listeners a little bit about yourself and, and the inspiration behind starting the Global Curiosity Institute? Because I know you spent, you spent quite a long time as a chief learning officer in, in a number of different um, global companies, didn't you? Absolutely. And actually, the, the learning and the HR and the analytics world or the HR analytics world is quite familiar to me. I've, um, I've spent the biggest part of my career in learning. Uh, setting up corporate universities for big companies like uh, like Nokia, like Agfa, like Philips, uh, and I kind of travelled the world. Uh, I've spent time in China, in Finland, in in Saudi, in in the UK, and in, in a couple of other countries. And then, about two years ago, I um, I left the corporate world and I set up the Global Curiosity Institute because I I had been already reflecting. That we, it's a beautiful role to be in learning and development because you can coach people, you can mentor people, you can grow people. And at some point, I realized that some people I don't need to train and grow because they do everything out of themselves. And I started to reflect, why is that? Why do some people are, are, are asking stupid questions all the time? Why do some people read more or look more at TED talks, et, et cetera, et cetera? And why do they share more? And when new, when new colleagues come on board, why do they spend more time with these new colleagues while other people just say hi, shake a hand and just get on with, uh, with things here? And I bumped into the, the notion of curiosity later on, and I started calling these people A players. And I realized very early on, or I, I asked myself the questions, well, actually, these, these A players are often a minority in organizations. So what can I do to train, or what do I need to do to all of the other, say, 80% of the, the population to make sure they also become A players? And... Um, I did some really beautiful pilots uh, with 15,000 people and the results were were actually enormous. And that's why I left my my cozy corporate role and I set up the, the, the institute. 
um, because very little research was done on the space of curiosity and what is it and can we train it? How do we train it then? How can we measure it? Because curiosity is one of those words that we we use very loosely, but we often have not, like so many other words, we're not really reflecting deeply on those words. And so that's what I'm I'm trying to do and I'm trying to kind of help companies and, and leaders to to regain their almost childhood drive for curiosity. There's a really well-known saying, curiosity killed the cat. You know, this implies that curiosity is, is a negative thing um, when in fact, as you've beautifully articulated, curiosity in the workplace should be seen as a positive and actually helps people perform better. You've done a lot of research on this topic. Could you share what curiosity actually is? Well, if we, it's a beautiful question, and let me talk. Let me first talk about what it is, and then share a little bit where the the curiosity killed the cat and the negative connotations come, because we still it's still pervasive in 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 language and the the, the way we we approach curiosity in many parts of society, although not everywhere. For me, curiosity is the or the definition I'm using is it the mindset to challenge the status quo, to explore, discover, and learn. Now, immediately, it has three dimensions, and let me kind of put them on the table. It's curiosity about the world, curiosity about others, and curiosity about myself. Now, curiosity about the world is what you typically think about curiosity in pretty much all, all cultures, is interested in stuff. A child being interested in a phone or an iPad or anything, any stuff, or an, or an Einstein discovering the universe. So that's typically what we think of, of curiosity. Now, I've added two dimensions, which are probably very important, is especially in the workplace, one is curiosity about others. Like, how much interest do I have in David sitting in front of me and, 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 and going, going deep? And, of course, we only see each other for a couple, kind of 40 or so minutes. But what about the people that I work with? What about the people that I live with? Do I take them for granted or do I get to know them once and then I kind of think that I know them all, uh, all along? Knowing that, for instance, most couples, they, they, they split not because they fight, but because they get bored with each other. They stopped exploring, you know. And then the third dimension is curiosity myself. What are my, my superpowers? What are my drivers? What are my, my beliefs? What are stories do I tell myself about who I should be or what is, what is right or wrong? So curiosity with the world, others in self, you hear me talk about it quite, quite often. Now, curiosity killed the cat. In many languages, we have these negative connotations. In Polish language, there's a saying like, curiosity is the first step to hell. Or I was talking to a Romanian uh, professional a couple of days ago, and she said in, in Romanian language, um, there's a saying something like, curious people die, die early. When you reflect upon those phrases, they all predate the 1950s. Up until that roughly 1950s, curiosity was seen as something very negative. It's like children poking their noses into areas where they're not supposed to. And then after the 1950s, curiosity is really on a, in, into a positive movement that we, we want our kids to be curious and challenge the teacher uh, that, that they're having. While beforehand, it was kind of listen to the teacher and, and, and behave because otherwise you're a, you're a bad child. And also leaders and, and, and company owners and professionals more and more are embracing curiosity to a point where some people say, well, I'm curious all the time, which is great because curiosity leads to development, leads to learning, leads to um, accepting changes, leads to meaning, more meaningful lives, leading to more happiness, more resilience and kind of many, many other dimensions. So, but sadly, in some parts of, of society, 
And in some companies, we still have that negative connotation of curiosity, that curious people are difficult to manage, that some leaders are... Well, when I'm asking leaders, how how much do you think that curiosity is a good thing for an organization? About 90% say yes. It leads to innovation. It leads to engagement. There's, there's a clear HR angle. There's also a clear innovation angle. When I'm asking then a follow-up question, how much are you inviting curiosity to your team? Then only 50% say uh, I am. As if it's a bit of a theory in theory and, uh, and, and practice. Uh, in theory, I think curiosity is a good thing for the organization, but in practice, I'd rather have some other team deal with it because my team is dealing with efficiency and I cannot deal with challenging the status quo, doing things differently because, because of stress, because of many other reasons um, that maybe we can unpack a little bit later. So uh, it is, has this positive and negative connotation still very much true. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because if we think, you know, if I think, obviously, I've got two, I've got two relative young kids. They're fourteen and twelve now. They're still extremely curious now. But if I think back to when they were younger, particularly before they went to school, they're extremely curious. They're asking questions about everything. They want to understand how everything works. You know, it's how we learn, which will lead us to our next question about learn, the link with learning and development. You know, and, and one wonders that even though curiosity is seen as a as a as a more positive thing than it was before the nineteen fifties, you still wonder that it institutionally whether it's a school or a workplace even if they say they're open to curiosity you, yeah just as your point there that that kind of paradox between the 90 percent and the 50 percent do they openly create a culture of curiosity and that's probably uh that's probably something we can unpack i, I guess as as we go let's look at the opposite of curiosity and for me the opposite of curiosity is conformity and in a sense, conformity, there's nothing wrong with this, with conformity, because that's kind of conformity helps us to make sense of the world or make the, the world a simpler place that we don't have to every day find a new route to our office or, you know, or that we, we, we have to, to learn a language every day because this, we, 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 we want to be conformist. And there's two types of conformity, the conformity that we do to ourselves and the conformity that others do to us. And, and the conformity that, that we do to ourselves is indeed we want to, the world to be predictable. That whatever I learned yesterday is still relevant today, that the, my toothpaste is, hasn't turned into poison. You know, you want to trust many things because otherwise uh, it's, it's just too, too cognitively challenging. And that's why we take the same, the same road to our office every day. That's why we often are not welcoming new ideas if they don't fit our own uh, ideas. That's why we often have lunch with the same type of people every day in the office. Uh, or that's why we often go to the same restaurant and, and even order the same type of a dish um, every time we go to a restaurant. And then we have the, 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 the conformity that others do to us and we happily comply because we want to be seen as a loyal and, and a loving member of the tribe. So suddenly, if you're sitting in a management team meeting and saying suddenly, hey, guys and girls, we're, we're off to completely the wrong start or we're going in the wrong direction is often not very, very, um, very much seen in the positive light because that puts you into on the side on, on the margins of your tribe, which is, which is often challenging. So, but there's nothing wrong with that because curiosity is almost the base position towards we're always drawn. Often we're curious in the beginning of things, when we start a new relationship, when we start a new job, when we start a new company, when we, we're doing a podcast like this for the first time. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're, all, we're all excited. And then after a while, we get used to it and we think we know. And that's so it's almost 
conformity is this has this gravitational pull um, that we're always after a while kind of uh, need to succumb to and 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 that's why I'm often talking about it's it's not about curiosity per se it's about intentional curiosity given that curiosity this conformity is given that we're pulled towards how much are we going to as an individual or as a leader as a team or as a company going to take action to overcome that gravitational pull and and how much do we pull against in the other direction allowing curiosity from happening in our workplaces and checking on ourselves checking on others and checking on the world how and why things can be different and just questioning am i still on the right track type of thing let's pause for a short moment while I tell you a little bit about the sponsors of this season's podcast. TechWolf helps large organizations understand the skills of their workforce through AI-based skill inference, inferring skills from employee data. TechWolf provides an instant, continuous, and real-life objective skills overview of the skills you have, the skills you need, and the gap in between. Are you looking for insights into how companies like Booking.com, Alliance, BP, GE Healthcare, HSBC and Ericsson are adopting a skills-based approach across their entire organisation? Follow customer journeys and learn how these companies are transforming into skills-based organisations and preparing for the future at techwolf.ai. That's techwolf.ai. Welcome back to my conversation with Stefan van Hoydonk, founder of the Global Curiosity Institute. As you've explained at the start, you worked as a chief learning officer in a number of big global companies in different countries as well. So obviously see different uh, cultures and their approach to curiosity and learning. You know, why is curiosity so important for individual career development and, you know, and, for, and for business as well? If we're living in stable environments, we don't really need curiosity. That's why curiosity didn't, didn't have a very, wasn't really regarded as, as being important in the 20th century, because let's face it, in the 20th century, it wasn't really uh, as, as dynamic as the times that we're having now. So, But once the environment is changing, you can bet that all the questions that you were used to ask and all the answers that you had to those questions are probably up for renewal. Also, when you're looking at the shelf life of knowledge in the 20th century, you can go to school once and uh, you were ready for the rest of your life. For uh, But nowadays, we have to kind of learn constantly. And there's two types of learning in organizations. You either have push or pull learning. Push learning is kind of um, compliance-based, somebody deciding for me what I should learn. And that often is not very empowering. Even if a manager tells me you have to learn about management skills or, or, or behavioral skills, when it doesn't come out of myself, then, and, and then often I'm not as, as keen of, of, of doing this. And then you have pull-based learning. is the is really curiosity-driven learning. And that's so important for organizations to, to allow people to learn not only for the current role, but also for the, for the next role, not knowing what that next role could be. And how much are we training these B players to become A players? 
because uh, these B players, it is as as if they've lost something out of their rucksack, as you said earlier, maybe during their youth or during at school or maybe as professionals, that their curiosity or their curiosity muscle isn't that strong anymore. And some companies are doing really brilliant jobs at actually taking uh, training people on how to rekindle my curiosity muscle because some people have kind of, lost it or forgotten it or um, their their muscle hasn't strengthened over the last period and also then work on on processes and cultures and and, and practices in an organization to 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 enable curiosity so if you're not curious nowadays you're not going to be ready for a very long future i think and you also see that in research that kind of people are changing careers much more often and maybe a last point is that there's an interesting, if you're looking at curiosity over knowledge, it's an inverted U-shape. So if you don't have any knowledge, then you can't be curious about things. So you need knowledge to build on to be curious, and curiosity needs knowledge to grow on. Um, that's, for instance, why it's so important not to, to, to be too quick at Googling. Because uh, the more you delegate your brain and your 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 knowledge base into the internet, the more stupid questions you are going to ask, uh, and the more kind of you you learn and 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 build your knowledge through intensive learning and using the internet in a positive way, but also reading and talking to people and getting mentored and getting getting coached, etc. The, the 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 richer questions you are going to ask. Now the danger is that after a while you think you know. And at that moment, your curiosity goes down. Um, and I've, I often use the example in North America, this research showed something very counterintuitive, i.e. that older doctors are less good at diagnosing patients than younger doctors. And that's very counterintuitive because we always want to talk to, to talk to the kind of the more experienced, the gray doctor with the white robe, you know. Um, and we say to the youngsters, well, why, why don't you learn a couple of more years and then we'll talk to you and we'll have you do, do the surgery on me. Well, research has shown that actually those young doctors are, that just save more lives. And a big part of that for the older doctors is they're playing an autom- automatic pilot. They think they know. While those younger doctors, they might tell themselves, well, I know for 80, 90%, but this 10%, I might not fully know. And therefore, they're going to check in with, with, uh, with peers or they check the research and save more lives in the process. And I often ask the question, as an HR or as a learning professional, how much do you consider yourself an expert in the same vein? An expert who doesn't need to be trained. Um, if you're looking at many competency models, in many companies, the first level of a competency model is called learner, which is completely wrong, I think, because it means as if the people that are beyond that stage don't need to be learning anymore. And I think the CEO or the the, the heads of learning, the heads of HR, should be as much um, having learning on their agenda as as everybody else in the organization. I agree. It's, it's- it's interesting if I think back over my career, I probably learn, I strive more to learn now, more curious now than I was when I was younger. And I do much better now from a career perspective, you know, the last sort of five to 10 years than I had done previously. And I, and I swear that that's because I'm always striving to learn more. So if we, if we look again, going through the research that you've done, Stefan, you know, w- what would you say are the main drivers of, of curiosity at, at work? A great question. 
a curious individuals need curious organizations to thrive. And, and vice versa, probably. And vice versa, absolutely. Um, and often we want to work for curious organizations. Um, uh, interesting also, there's, there's a 90% growth of the use of the word curiosity in online job ads. So many organizations are becoming aware that curiosity is a good thing. Um, and when I was interviewing uh, people at Merck, uh, the, the, the recruitment uh, uh, responsible people there, they, they told me that in their analysis, the use of the word curiosity appeals to all demographics. So not only the youngsters, but also the older people. And well, if you're looking at th- words like sustainability, is more appealing to the youngsters than appealing to the older gender uh, demographic. So somehow the use of curiosity is, 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 is beautiful. Because often we assign curiosity to the individual as if the environment has little to say about it. Uh, but if you're looking at, for instance, more and more companies are using curiosity as a corporate value. Uh, or changing towards curiosity or exploration or something like it to say, actually, at the highest level of our values, that is something we stand for. McKinsey, the, the consulting company, they have one value and it's, they, 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 it's, it's the obligation to dissent. So it's not only okay to have a different perspective, it's even an obligation. If you want to make a career in that company, you have to challenge the status quo. You have to come up with new new information. You have to kind of, regardless of seniority, you have to challenge your CEO and your seniors, of course, with data and with with, with caring and, 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 and politeness. And then you have practices. How much are we recruiting for curiosity? Let's do a, a quick quick thought experiment. Let's see. We were both sitting in a in a um, in a promotion committee, and there's two dossiers on the table. We have Mary and Jeff, and we can only choose one. We don't have budget or or opportunities for for more. And Jeff is a person who has been overachieving over the last couple of years. Every project that we we've we have asked him to do, he's done it, and then some. And for a couple of years, and last time he wasn't, uh, he didn't get get promoted. So he's on the table, and he has all the rights to to be. And then we have Mary. He's also overachieving on many of their, our objectives. And then last year, um, she did something that we all supported. Um, she actually volunteered to join a company-wide project on something extremely strategic that even the board was aware. Now that project failed miserably. She learned a lot, and the company learned a lot. But everybody that's kind of that was part of that project somehow got tainted. But we realized she she's a great performer, and then she stuck out her neck. So she's also on the table. Who would we who would we select to be promoted? And depending on the culture of the organization, and depending on whether your companies are working for startups or scale ups or grown ups, there's a different answer. In the grown-up companies, uh, what often I hear is that actually we will promote Jeff, if 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 we're really honest, we should promote Mary, uh, but maybe Jeff is the is a conformist choice. And then the moment you move to scale-ups and startups, then there's a much more uh, willingness to to promote Mary. Um, and it doesn't mean that Mary's only about curiosity; is Mary's also about performing. So it's kind of both the the curiosity as well as the conformity. So, but then again, that's kind of in the promotion side. And there's many other steps that we can take as uh, to create curious workspaces. Great, great example. I was smiling because I I work in a 
company of 20 people so i would probably promote mary but um but yeah that <laughs> might have been different when i was at ibm who knows but um well, and what would you say are some of the sort of main barriers i mean you know obviously a lot of it's the opposite of what you said probably but what, what would you say are the the barrier main barriers pre- preventing curiosity in the workplace i'm guessing a lot of it's down to leaders leadership and culture uh, leaders has a huge example so uh, there's probably intrinsic barriers as well as extrinsic ones Ex- intrinsic barriers is the barriers that i the thing i do to myself and that could be the stories that I have, the interest that I have in it, the knowledge that I have. If I have little knowledge of something, I can't be very curious about it. If if, if there's a change happening in my organization and I know little of, of that change, I often am not going to be very interested in, the, in that change and I might, might even resent it. So there's a number of things that uh, stress is also a big one, that the more stress I have, a little bit of stress is good to get people out of their comfort zone, but too much stress is paralyzing. And so if people are bogged down with too much things on their plate, if they don't create the time and the space, because curiosity needs time and space, but also the environment is really important. We talked already about the culture and the processes, how much you, but also the leader is hugely important. Back to learning, and maybe we could talk already a little bit about measurement, given that we're talking about analytics. It, when my last job at a corporate job at Cognizant, a big company, 300,000 people, and my analytics group and myself, we started having some questions, or not some questions, but at least come up with some hypotheses to, so we can do some more number crunching. And one of these hypotheses was, is the behavior or the learning behavior of a manager indicative for the learning behavior of the team, yes or no? So if a, learning man- is a, lear- if a manager is learning a lot, uh, does a team learn a lot? And intuitively, that makes sense. Um, yeah. But we're actually proven it with data and uh, that, Actually, the manager who has many learning hours, and learning hours, I'm talking about anything we can get our hands on. Uh, the, the books they, 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 they read online that we can, we could track and the learnings. And uh, if the manager is, is high on that, the team is also high on, 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 on learning. Um, and it's not because the manager learns, but it's more what the manager talks about, he or she. If the manager says, "Oh, I've, 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 I've seen this TED talk. Why don't share it with the team? Or I've read this book. Or I've gone to this course. Or uses curious language. Kind of, I'm interested in what would it be, team? You know, have that um, uh, have has curious language. The team recognizes that this is desired behavior, and the team will follow. The the sad thing is, the opposite is also true." If the manager falls flat on, on learning hours, the team also falls flat on learning hours. But for the A players, because they don't need the role model or the negative role model of a manager to stop them from learning because they have this intrinsic drive to go learning. But that's, um, you mentioned leader. So often leaders don't realize the shadow that they're casting upon the team. They just don't know. They don't know what important role they have. And just telling often uh, or giving, sharing with kindness these data with uh, with leaders already is a great moment of introspections for those leaders. And often I see then immediate changes with um, with those leaders if they do something about it. So the power of data uh, and is, 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 is crucial. So, so how else do you would you go about measuring curiosity in, in the workplace? Well, what's something I, I hope I've, I made one contribution to the world is that to say that actually you can measure curiosity. 
because curiosity is often considered as this this vague vague thing that you have or you don't have, which is not entirely true, um, and that you can't measure. But you actually can measure curiosity, and actually you can measure it in two different ways: in a qualitative and a quantitative uh, uh, fashion. In um, quantitatively, I've designed a couple of diagnostics, and uh, one is for 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 um, uh, for people at home, uh, their personal curiosity levels, and I measure about curiosity of the world, curiosity of others, and curiosity of yourself. People can take that free online, and it, we have now already for more than 5,000 people taking it. I also have a professional version of that. And I also have another diagnostic, which is measuring how, how companies are showing up. So what is the extrinsic dimension? How much is an organization curious or allowing curiosity in its processes, in its culture, in its management style, in its uh, role models, uh, looking more towards the past, looking more towards the future, etc.? So that's the quantitative way of measuring. But there's also a, a, a qualitative way of measuring, is just checking in with, with colleagues. Imagine you're an HR chief. You can ask, how am I doing as an HR manager, as your HR manager? Or you can also ask your colleagues, in this meeting or in this week, did I show up more with curiosity or did I show up more with, with judgments? which is a form of, of conformity. And I think the most beautiful question that people can ask others and give themselves that gift is a type of reverse feedback. If you're a senior, ask your, your juniors, how am I doing? It's amazing what I've found so far. For instance, only 24% of the people are say that they're regularly, regularly curious at work. So that means that everybody's curious at some point, but kind of regular is is is, is an important uh, statement here. Startups are four times more ready to learn from mistakes when compared to grown-up companies. Or middle managers are about four times less ready to say that curiosity is a good thing for an organization when I compare them to first-line managers or senior executives. And the curiosity goes down after three years in the same role. And that's a call out for, for job rotation uh, and mobility in an organization because after three years, people become part of the furniture. Not everybody, because sometimes people can maintain their creativity, can maintain some high levels of, of, of innovation, So, um, but it should be a standard uh, yeah. Uh, a consequence of this research should be a standard call-out, should be your three years in a role. Uh, you have to have a, have a really good reason why you should stay in that role. Otherwise, we're going to rotate you out and, 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 and bring you to new pastures. So you can learn new things and you can ask new questions. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Let's stay with the organizations for a minute. So so those organizations that, that have 
gone through analysis of their curiosity uh, levels at the at the kind of organizational level and would like to improve or even maybe build uh, a culture of curiosity you know what are some of the the key actions that they could take to to promote this well there's a, a number of steps that first of all the the baselining is really important how are we doing um, and companies can either kind of do do some diagnostics like with with but like the dive designed or they can include in their engagement surveys questions around curiosity around exploration where it's very important is that companies are are clear about the definition whether it's only about curiosity of the world or also about others and self so uh, um, companies have to be clear about it before they they have a question strategy so that's a, a really important one and then uh, once they have that, it's probably important for companies to kind of prioritize. Where do we want to get most out of our buck? Do we want to spend more time on recruitment or more on retention or more on offboarding or something like that? And then start to deep dive and maybe audit the organization and audit kind of, I use it in a, in a friendly, in a friendly environment. And then I think an important part is training, training the group itself, HR, how curious are we? And can we maybe use ourselves as a pilot group to baseline ourselves, but also train on different aspects of curiosity? And then I'd start with leaders. And, and then I'd start kind of with the rest of the organizations. And then the next, the next possibility could be design curiosity in new processes that you're, that you're creating, whether it's L&D processes, new solutions, or new... Maybe you might have a new diversity program rolling out. I've got some really good examples of com companies that use curiosity as a driver for curiosity, is interested in the other, and then kind of would be embedding it into how you're going to embed it and how you're going to make sure that your CEO also talks about curiosity and how you're going to drive things and, and change in a more sustainable way. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that was my follow-up question, actually, you know, one or two examples of companies that have done a really good job of of embedding curiosity, perhaps that um, either in a program or, or or actually into the culture, even better. Well, I think one com one example, a very good example for me, is Microsoft. That uh, the moment that Satya Nadella came on board in February two thousand fourteen, he radically chose culture as a change. Uh, and he focused on change with uh, with growth mindset, and he changed the mentality in the organization. If you're looking at the stock exchange, and if you're looking at the market cap of Microsoft, actually recently it's coming down a little bit. But kind of let's let's look about this first um, from 2014 to post uh, post COVID. He's on such an amazing job in changing the culture from a from a know it all culture to a learn it all culture, and curiosity was around all the time let's be more curious about ourselves uh, about how we show up as leaders how we show up towards customers what our product roadmap should be etc etc so i think that's a great example on the culture side and uh, and there's many other companies i can think of you have a google kind of the 20 percent rule 20 percent of your time you can spend on things or intuit um they're celebrating failures um kind of Failure parties, fuck up Fridays, you know, uh, it's Friday, great, who's done something wrong and celebrate that. And then in terms of learning, I think there's two beautiful examples who are radically using different approaches. You have, for instance, on the one hand side, Novartis doing a brilliant job at, at, at changing the environment, I would say, in terms of learning. 
because um, they're making they're creating the extrinsic environment they're making it easier for people to access they have, they have democratized learning any licenses they have anybody can take while before it was only for leaders or only for finance people or only for it people but now to say okay no boundaries anybody who's willing where and they also set for instance a high bar for 100 hours of learning per person so these are companies, Novartis is a good example of a company that, that wants to go radically in improving and embedding curiosity in the environment. And then another company, Merck, the German-based uh, company Merck, they're going radically to the individual. Because they, they said, okay, we're, we realize that quite a number of individuals have lost their, their muscle of curiosity. Let's train these people on curiosity, and teams, what it is to be curious, how, what strategies you can deploy. So they're not necessarily focusing so much on the environment. They're focusing radically on the individual and they have beautiful examples or beautiful and examples and beautiful results. Something that I also did at, uh, at, at Cognizant when I said 15,000 people is pilot. We had this. Uh, this new culture, this new learning culture rolling out in the organization. It was open, wonder, learn. And we said, okay, we're going to be much more about pull than about push. And, and every 300,000 people, please join us. And it was quite interesting. And I realized that later, the A players, they jumped on board immediately. And then the B players, they were sitting on the fence. So just just telling people it's okay to be learning or just let's let's learn or be be self-exploring and be a self-starter is doesn't make people be apart from the A players. And then so we three realized what can we get those B players over uh, off the fence into into reality, the new reality. And we did forty-five minutes short sessions around how to be more curious. And we told people about neuroplasticity. It is possible to change at regardless what age gave them strategies and also invited them to share with at least one other person or leaders with their team how curiosity, uh, how, what they thought of, of that 45-minute session. And three months later, we saw already quite drastic changes when we checked in with people. And one year later, we saw that the average learning hours for the company is 25 hours. For this group of 15,000 people, their average was 12 months after those sessions, 43 hours. So just telling people telling people it's okay to be curious is, is a good start, but giving them tools and training to deal with that, how to be more of a self-starter and how to be more curious and, 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 and help them reflect on this exponentially increase the value of, uh, of learning. Is curiosity, is it a skill or a behavior, or a bit of both? It is both a state and a trait. About 50% you're born with. So it can, you can, some people are just naturally better because of executive power in their minds and their genetic makeup. 50% is what you acquire after you're, you were born. That's why it's so important. The environment is so important. And that's also a good thing that you can learn. You can improve that 50% that is that you were born with, that after, that's, that's around after you were born. Because uh, if, if we're not intentional about it, we get pulled towards that conformity. And also it becomes kind of a, a New Year's resolution, something that excited for exciting for two weeks. But then its novelty wanes and we start focusing on the on the on the conformity and the, the things of the day. How can HR help the business identify and prioritize the critical skills it needs for the future? 
if you're looking at curiosity of the self and expand it not only to me as an individual, but to me as an HR group or me as an organization, then suddenly you're going to reflect on what are my deeper drivers, what are my assumptions, um, uh, what's my role as HR in an organization. I'm here the policeman to make sure all the processes are followed, or am I um, the co-creator of this new reality? Uh, and this new competitive reality. So I think curiosity of self is a, is a is an extremely important dimension for individuals. Is curiosity important for us? And I, I see very few industries that where curiosity or this this balance between curiosity and conformity is not important. So if it is important for us, how much are we are we dealing with it? How much are we welcoming it? I was talking to a, a, a chemical giant a couple of weeks ago. And the person was talking about their quality manual. And they said, we have if one line of changes in our quality manual requires 700 approvals. We're not going to start. We're not even going there. Uh, but I think HR has a beautiful role to play here in, in, in drivers for culture. And if culture is important and curiosity is important in that culture, then, then HR will find a way. In, in in doing and making sure that there is so and then also curiosity of others and not only asking that question at management level but also asking that question to every every marion and, and and jeff in the company uh and maybe we can learn something and maybe it's a vulnerable question that we won't, might not always kind of like or or not sure about what the answer is going to be but that's great and um and um, and then also curiosity about the world. How much am I interested in HR in internal stuff, but also am I interested in trends in the industry and new products that are coming out? And how much can I speak the language of, of my customers? And how many customers have I visited in the last month type of thing and interested in how they look at us type of a thing? You know? So there's many angles to curiosity, I think we can. And then you can trickle it down to recruitment and promotion and, um, and other dimensions, I, I'm sure you can. Fascinating subject. I know the listeners are going to want to dig in a bit further and find out more about your work. You know, firstly, thanks for being a, a guest on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. How can listeners find out more about you, follow you on social media, maybe un, un, find out more about the Global Curiosity Institute and, and the book maybe as well? My main vehicle would be LinkedIn. I'm trying to get better at, at all of the other social media f uh, areas, but um, uh, that's a learning journey for me. You can also go to the website, uh, globalcuriosityinstitute.com, uh, and there you can find the, the assessments and, 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 and uh, so a number of podcasts and other things. And then the book, I'm so thrilled that the book is, is, was its bestseller in the beginning and still still is, uh, that people are, uh, are resonating. And it's available on all global platforms in either uh, ebook version or paperback and that's often a great uh, a great starting point for people to get to get more curious about curiosity that's that's a great way to end it getting more curious about curiosity St stefan it's been fantastic to have you on the show i'm even more curious than i was before so uh, you've certainly achieved that with me anyway so so thank you very much and um, yeah look forward to uh, connecting with you again in the future thanks for having me david thank you for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope this conversation sparked your curiosity into the concept of curiosity at work. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes and share this with your friends and colleagues via social media so others can enjoy the show too. 
We'd also be really grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The higher ratings we get, the more content we can create. For more from us at Insight222 and to keep up with the latest industry trends, sign up for our weekly newsletter by going to myhrfuture.com. For now, take care and we hope to see you next week.